What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We've got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's Jaw Rafts, of course. We've got Jays. we got him for days. Josh, how are you doing? Well, you know, we just got that next IARP ruling sandwiched in between a pretty big weekend and perhaps the biggest weekend of the college basketball season hey, until know. we get to March. That little, you know, finals week, you had a couple quote-unquote marquee matchups, some interesting games, but this was kind of a chill week for everybody, and so we got the Arizona ruling right in the middle of it. Of course we did. Um, you, did you know, Josh, that in the power rankings of coaches most impacted by the FBI investigation and IARP investigations of those same issues, um, Mike Boynton, who still has not a single thing to do with either of those things, um, remains far and away number one in the power rankings of the coaches that are most impacted by rulings. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, like, I'm not exactly stunned. Apparently, the, like, all you got to do at this point is, hey, you know what? I think, you know, we suck. I know we suck. Let's impose a postseason ban on ourselves. And then the IRP will just take 14 hours of recruiting time away and call that a punishment, and we'll move on with our lives. Um, and then, of course, you know, hmm, Xavier coach now gets to be like, I'm just so glad it's all over. Yeah, like like that, like you that, didn't that choose to put statement. yourself like you didn't choose to put yourself. I just want to thank my family. You know what? You, like all of this is your fault. Not, not, all of this is your fault. You could have chosen not to cheat. You could have chose that, but you didn't. So this whole like, oh my gosh, like it's just been so so stressful on my family. Like like you're the one who cheated, bro. Like nobody else, nobody else cheated. And then you're no, that's Mike Boynton. Mike Boynton is stressed out. Mike Boynton mm-hmm. is allowed to have that kind of statement because he's stressed out because of things that he had nothing to do with. It just happened to be in Stillwater. Anyways, there's my rant. I'm sorry, Mike Boynton. <laughs> we'll apologize to you for the end of time on behalf of yeah. the NCAA and um, everybody else who doesn't understand the impact that this is having on that program still. But don't worry. Xavier's got nothing wrong. Sean Miller's got nothing wrong. John Calipari didn't have anything wrong, and Memphis got its Final Four taken away too. So that's my rant. I, 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 I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed. Disappointed. Yeah, we're just gonna. I mean, there's not that much new to say. I have one thing I want to bring up, but we're just gonna we're just gonna keep going to bat from Mike Boynton every time, like you said, and make sure yep. everybody understands he's the runaway leader in the the power rankings. Yep. Yep. Uh, the thing I do want to say, adding off of going off of that, because I was trying to think of okay, what? How are my emotions different this time than last time? Because they're very similar, and I'm just getting really disappointed in the lack of accountability from a coaching standpoint. Again, not that this is surprising, but to mm-hmm. what you were talking about with Sean Miller and that statement, the idea that the only person being held accountable for any of this that has had no control over any of the situation, you know, right? Sean Miller, Bruce Pearl self-imposed NCA tournament suspension. That's not the right way to phrase that, but right. Self-imposed an NCAA ban. That's what I was going for. Self-imposed NCA tournament bans. So yes, they did pay a price, but that's much more about the schools than it is about the coaches considering where the coaches are right now. Right. And, you know, Bill Self got the 
four-game suspension or whatever it was, and now we're just not going to talk about that again either because it wasn't that big of a deal. Just this idea that Mike Boynton is somehow the one who was trying to make this as pain-free as possible for him in Oklahoma State by being cooperative, and he is the only coach that's paying a significant price from the not knowing when, you know, the whole Kate Cunningham, is he coming? Is he not? Are they going to be able to play in the NCAA tournament? All of that kind of stuff to the efforts he actually went through to try and reduce the punishment by being cooperative. The fact that they then ultimately lost an NCAA tournament they were planning on playing in because they found out so late, all of that stuff that somehow the coaches are just for the most part, been able to either detach themselves from the schools or detach themselves from the consequences is the one thing that's really was really frustrating me this time because I just don't really have the energy to be frustrated about the other stuff we've already discussed because that's nothing new. And I guess, I mean, this isn't either, but it's a new frustration, I guess, for me. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's, um, it, the default is to be disappointed in these kind of things. And, you know, if if nothing, <laughs> I mean, we could, I suppose we could take some solace in the fact that the AIARP seems to be relatively consistent. Um, I don't, yeah. I don't always agree. And we're getting to close the, to this being done. Right. Um, but right. Part of the frustration, right. There are different frustrations. It used to be that the, the biggest frustration was it doesn't make any sense. Like how was this guy different than this other guy? Why did you give this guy a transfer and you didn't, you know, a, an immediate transfer and you didn't give this guy, even though it seems to be the exact same thing. Why is this punishment different from this punishment where, when the, the breaking of the rules was in basically the exact same category uh, we've switched to a little bit of, there's no accountability here because there's no real punishments because there's only one punishment that actually scares coaches. And I promise you it's not recruiting hours. I promise you it's not recruiting hours. Um, but right. So the frustrations have, have shifted a little bit, but, no, but with that being said, there is some, some solace to take in at least the IARP is consistent with their, with the conclusions they come to, whether or not you agree with them. And I guess the more I think about it, the reason that stood out to me this time was the fact that it didn't look like it was going this way for Sean Miller based on right kind of the initial stuff. And then all of a sudden you see, okay, Arizona gets these sanctions. Yes, they're not severe, but they are sanctions. There was a punishment on top of the self-imposed NCAA tournament ban. And unlike a bill self who did survey suspension and, you know, is still dealing with the consequences of, from a Kansas standpoint, Sean Miller has completely removed himself from this situation now and is not getting penalized in any way, shape or form for it. So I guess that the more I think about it, that's what really stood out to me about this one because the rest of the stuff, it's exactly what you would have expected. Like you said, because IARP has been consistent in all of this. Yep. We got hoops this weekend. We got lots of hoops this weekend. Boy, do we. It's, yeah. it's probably... It's probably the best single hoops day of the season right behind, right, we're talking about the first four days of the NCAA tournament and then the tournament in general up until there aren't multiple games on one day. 
um, of course, rival this, but and surpass this. But on on Saturday alone, first of all, the 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 UConn Huskies are coming to Butler. Let's go Hinkle Fieldhouse. You just ask Villanova about what it's like to come to Hinkle Fieldhouse undefeated and the favorite over Butler. Just ask them. Okay, that's that's just just ask them how that went for them um, during their reign atop the Big East. Anyways, uh, at noon. Indiana plays Kansas at Fog Allen. Um, number 14, Indiana. Number eight, Kansas. Um, Alabama plays Gonzaga at one o'clock in the CM Newton Classic in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, Alabama, the number four team in the country. Gonzaga, the number 15 team in the country, but still a, a big time matchup. North Carolina plays Ohio State in the CBS Sports Classic. That's um, at Mad- in Madison Square Garden this year, as we learned, not in Las Vegas. Um, um, UCLA and Kentucky play in the second game there. Uh, and then to, to, to cap off the night, it's Tennessee, number six, Tennessee at number nine, Arizona. And I haven't even gotten to the one that we're going to talk about the most in this podcast. Um, so you have all of that. And then you have the number two team playing the number five team in the country at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia, number two, Virginia, hosting number five, Houston. Um, we're going to talk to somebody about the Alabama, excuse me, about the Houston-Virginia game here in just a moment. But Josh, for you, which of these games are you most excited about? And if it's, if it's the Houston-Virginia game, that can, that you're allowed, that's allowed to be the answer. I think probably the Houston Virginia game because I love a good defensive struggle. Not as much in basketball as football, but the idea of these two teams playing is just fascinating to me. And I also don't feel like we've learned that much about Virginia yet. I mean, yes, they have some some very good wins. I do want to see them play a team of Houston's caliber. And from a Houston standpoint, I love where this game falls as kind of your bounce back to that Alabama game. And so I want to, I am more curious about these two teams. I feel like I have a pretty good sense on Indiana, you know, pretty good sense on Arizona, pretty good feel on Kansas. I feel like we're going to learn the most from this game. And so therefore, this is the one I'm most excited about. Yeah, you know, it's this this is a perfect example of how even if there are some there are some things that don't feel like they've changed a bunch, that all of these games have a different dynamic than we thought they were going to do at the beginning of the season, just a month and a half ago, when you when you go down the list. Um maybe Indiana, Kansas is kind of right there where we thought it was going to be. I think Kansas Indiana was thirteenth in the preseason. I believe they might have even been 14th, but like right there, um, maybe 12th, but but within th- within two spots of where they are now. Kansas, I think, was fifth, maybe at the beginning of the season. Not totally sure, but something. But like that, that one, that one, generally speaking, I think is in a pretty similar spot to where we thought it was going to be. Um, but Alabama Gonzaga is at the very least flip flopped, if not even even more <laughs> dramatic than that. Um, if you told me Gonzaga was going to be four and Alabama was going to be 15th, I'd believe that a lot faster than the other way around. And, and not just to, to, mm-hmm. to look at that the other way around, but to think like, if you asked, like most people, I think at this point would say that Alabama is the better basketball team just in general, um, at this point, 
Um, Houston and Virginia, right? Houston, top top uh, three team in the preseason. But Virginia, Virginia all the way up to number two. Um, were they in the top 25 preseason? I believe so. 18th. Their first game, they were 18th in the country. So yes, they were they were top 25 preseason, but a team that has not lost yet. Um, so we all of these games are are almost as, and then of course North Carolina. There's only one ranked team in the North Carolina Ohio State game, and it's not North Carolina, which is crazy <laughs> to think about. Just absolutely crazy to think about. But um, yeah, an absolutely jam packed schedule on Saturday. It's a it's a brilliant brilliant sports weekend. Brilliant. Um, between college hoops kind of intertwined, um, right. You have the NFL, the NFL, just four games left in the NFL regular season. Um, so we're, we're getting close and Saturday games. Um, then, I mean, right. The NBA continues to roll on. The NBA is like over a third of the way into their season at this point. Um, and then perhaps, I mean, you know, not perhaps. And then the biggest, the biggest single day sporting event from a viewership perspective is on Sunday in the world cup in the world cup final. Um, the third place game is on Saturday. Josh has made it very clear that he doesn't care about the third place game. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm sure there are plenty of people <laughs> that will care about it. Um, and then of course you have um, just, the granddaddy of sports viewing in terms of uh, in terms of viewership in a single in a single event and that's the world cup final fantastic event do you have anything else that you'd like to get to before we get to our interview today no let's jump in let's jump in um we, we we've we've kept you waiting long enough. I'm sure you've seen it in the title if you've clicked on this podcast. But today we're talking to James Mueller. James is the sports editor for the Daily Cougar, um, the student-run newspaper at the University of Houston. Um, he's also he, he's dabbled in House of Houston, which is the fan-sided account uh, and website that is dedicated to Houston sports hoops habit, which is the NBA's. Uh, a part of the uh, fan sided's NBA coverage as well. So he's been around and he knows what he's talking about when it comes to Kelvin Sampson, Marcus Sasser, and the Houston men's basketball program. So we talk to him, we get into expectations, we get into the Alabama game, we get into this game coming up on on Saturday against Virginia and and talk about the inevitable, which is um, that the expectation for this Houston team is is to go very very deep in March and what kind of needs to happen for them to put themselves in the best spot to do so. But um, very much enjoyed our conversation with James. Let's go chat to, to chat with him about the Houston Cougars. Joining us now is the sports editor for the Daily Cougar, James Mueller. James, thanks so much for taking the time to come chat with us. How are you today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. You know, exciting season. I feel like every time we go into a Houston season nowadays, it's a, it's for one way or another really exciting. And then if it wasn't super exciting at the beginning of the season, we get to the middle of the year and they've won a, an alarming amount of games. And then we're talking about it as an, as an exciting season. This one in particular, I think, had had a lot of juice around this year's this year's season Marcus Sasser coming back from injury the freshman class um, elite on paper 
and and lots of people you know in a year with with plenty of turnover there there was a lot of excitement around this program where it's it's december 15th we're about a month and a half into the season what were what were your expectations what conclusion did you come to in the preseason about this team and 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 maybe how has it changed in the first 11 11 or so games into the season yeah so entering the season i i thought this team would be really good um Kelvin Sampson's one of the best coaches in college basketball, in my opinion. He gets the most out of his players. And, I mean, even last year with – you mentioned how Marcus Sasser was out. Um, also, guard Tremont Mark, one of the key pieces, missed most of the season as well. And they still were able to find a way to make it to the Elite Eight and were where they shot awful against Villanova, but were, you know, two three-pointers away from going back to the Final Four. Um, so I knew with, you know, those pieces were returning and then – uh, the freshman that they brought in, I, I mean, I didn't really know exactly what to expect because I haven't seen him play at a college level, but I knew, you know, they had the pieces there. Um, and so far through, you know, the first month and a half of the season, it's been about what you expect. There's some, there's obviously some growing areas. The freshmen are still, you know, getting into, uh, you know, getting more comfortable in college basketball and under Kelvin Sampson, Jarris Walker, who was, you know, the big one, the five-star um, forward. He's had his moments of, you know, brilliance. He's also shown some typical freshman struggles you expect. And then, uh, you know, having Sasser back out on the court to compliment um, Mark and then point guard Jamal Shedd, who took a huge leap last season. Um, it's been about what you expect, I mean, going in, I thought the only game up to this point they would lose possibly would be Alabama. And of course they did. But uh, for the most part, you know, still a top five team uh, right now. And they've they've sort of shown people why many pr- predict for them to, you know, be right here in Houston when uh, April comes around for the final four. We're going to get to Marcus Sasser later. I want to talk about the freshman real quick here because I feel like because Mark and Sasser were coming back, because Jamal Shedd was coming back, it was easy for this freshman class to get under undervalued or underappreciated in terms of their importance to this team and just what these guys can offer. You, you know, you mentioned Jairus Walker. That we're talking about one of the top ten or so recruits in the country. You look at, for example, Brandon Miller at Alabama. He's you know leading scorer, key player on the team, sort of the guy. That's not the role that these Houston freshmen are playing because of all the returners. Have you? What has kind of stuck out to you about these freshmen the first month and a half or so of their careers, and kind of what do you think we might be able to expect from them as they get more and more comfortable at the college level? Yeah, so I think that's a really good point you brought up. How you know other teams they got to rely on freshmen, whereas you know this Houston team has veteran guys. They got an all a preseason all American and Marcus Sasser. So I think that's really helps ease some of the transition for Jarris Walker. Uh, Terrence Arsenault is another one. He was a four-star coming out. Um, he really shined to get to Oregon um, and comes off the bench uh, 15 or so minutes a game. But I think it helps ease their transition because they're not coming in right away. Uh, obviously they've got the talent, they've got the skill, but they're not having to go out there and be the guy, you know, take, have the team on their shoulders from the get-go, which I think is huge um, because no matter how good you are in high school, there is still a learning uh, curve when you go up to college basketball and especially, you know, playing just just the talent level you, you see all, all across the country. So I think overall the freshmen have sort of been, like I said earlier, what you would expect. There's those struggles, but then you also see that raw potential and, uh, 
I, I've seen how they've grown just, you know, through the first month and a half of the season and, you know, come, come NCAA tournament time, these could be the guys that, you know, push Houston over the top if they make a deep run. But uh, yeah, there, there's still this growing period, but there's a lot there. And um, the more and more time they spend under Kelvin Sampson and just, you know, buy into this culture, the system he's built, um, just, just the better they'll continue to get. I think that's the best play, right? Everybody wants the five-star freshman. And and whether you're depending on them to score every point or zero points, you want them on your team. But exactly what you just said, to be at a at a spot with the personnel that is, if we get to the NCAA tournament and they're just pushing us over the edge, if they're making us that much better, of course, to a certain extent, you need them to play well to make a, a deep run. But it's not the guys that you're, dropping the load on when you get to the tournament and that's kind of a, a great place for a, a to, to unlock young players in in a big tournament setting to 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 be able to uh just kind of let them do their thing and let the the veterans and you know not just veterans but all american caliber veterans do their thing um we're, we're coming off a a weird and maybe you feel differently but um a, a weird Alabama game, you know, it was a game that the first 20 minutes were close and then Houston goes on this run right out of, right out of halftime, get up 44, 29. I had to go to work. I turned it off, went to work and I was like, okay, I don't have to think about this game anymore. And then I'm driving to work and on, you know, on the top of the hour sports center update, it's, Houston, you know, Alabama comes back from 15 to, to beat Houston in Houston. Um, what did what did you take away from the Alabama game? What what kind of what did you see happen in that last 16 minutes where they, they gave up that 15 point lead? Just kind of what you what you come away thinking about where, from, from the Alabama game? Yeah, so sort of like you I had that same thought about three, four minutes into the second half. They're up 15. I'm like, this is probably over they weathered the storm in the first half you know Bama made run early they kept it close took a lead late in the first half and then you know when you start out the second half up 15 I mean it's sort of what what you expect you know you expect them to close it out um you expect Bama you know to make a little push but I didn't think they'd overcome 15 points but uh Kelvin Sampson hit it right on the head in the his postgame presser he basically said Virginia made this mass substitution they took a bunch of uh, starters out and they just started they 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 went away from some of their sets and just said you got to beat us we're, we're a quick team you got to beat us on the ball and they 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 had that first step they you know blow by a Houston defender get easy layups dunks things like that uh set up you know and then when you're penetrating the paint like that it sets up open threes and stuff like that so that was the big thing is Houston struggled to keep uh Alabama in front of them um defensively which allowed Alabama to crawl back into the game and then also Tremont Mark fouled out at about the eight minute mark and he's one of those veterans um Sasser wasn't shooting well he's been dealing with the thing over his left eye he cut it um a couple days prior and so he was wearing little goggles and those were fogging up and stuff so he he wasn't like the scorer that you expect from him and so Tremont was carrying some of that load Jamal shed also but um once you lose a player like that it's just tough to throw different guys, um, younger and experienced guys in against one of the top teams in the country. And so things just started to fall apart. And then down the stretch, you know, it's close, but 
it came down to free throws and Alabama, Brandon Miller, six for six over the final minute. Houston missed four, I think. They were two of six, I'm pretty sure. And so it just came down to that. Do you feel like it was more of kind of just this unexpected series of events, like you said, you know, Nate Oates kind of scratched the game plan and really tried to spread the floor. That's when things changed. Do you feel like that was just sort of a in-game change that Houston wasn't prepared for? Or do you feel like this is maybe something that other teams are going to look at down the stretch, whether that's, you know, Virginia this weekend or in the NCAA tournament and say that, you know, Houston's been so good defensively for so long under COVID Sampson. Do you feel like this is something that other teams are going to look at and say, that's how we get at them. This is a a concern moving forward. Or do you feel like it was just kind of a one-off thing? I think it's a little bit of both because Houston doesn't lose much under Kelvin Sampson. They haven't, they, you know, since 2017, 18, they have the second most wins, uh, just trailing Gonzaga. So whenever someone beats Houston teams ahead of their schedule, it's going to look at that blueprint, but not all the teams have the personnel that Alabama has. So you might not be able, sure it worked, but other teams might not be able to play that way. Um, And so they'll have to find other creative ways. I think uh, Houston's still a really good defensive team, but I think this was sort of eye-opening and um, just showed them they've got to be better on the ball, that first step. That's something uh, Samson emphasized after the game is, you know, that first dribble, whoever wins that, is likely going to win the possession. And that's something they've got to hammer home because if you do face teams with, you know, the quickness um, from the guards and then the ability to, you know, shoot the three when when you penetrate the paint and people come crashing in, then it could cause problems. So they've got to, they've got to work on, you know, not letting those blow-bys happen and things like that. Uh, so I think, yeah, there, there's a little bit of both. Um teams can try to sort of emulate what Alabama did, but at the same time, Houston will make adjustments as well. And uh, yeah, um, we'll we'll just see how it plays out. But certainly whenever a team beats Houston, you're going to look at that um, and try to take something from that. I want to talk about Marcus Sasser for a second. Um, Right now he's averaging 16, 16, three and two and a half basically on 42, 30, 85 splits. Um, for what it's worth, at the end of last year, he was he was just 12 games last year, so it's actually a pretty good spot to kind of take into account. You know, we're, we're basically at the same spot that he was last year when he stopped playing. Um, he was 43% from deep over on about eight attempts last year. He's 30% on just over six attempts this year. Um, right. We talked about he wasn't completely healthy in this last game, but also has had some right, you know, some inefficient performances kind of throughout the season. Um, he He's the type of guy that I would never, you know, come onto a podcast and say, I'm worried about Marcus Sasser, um, especially a guy who's getting as much attention as as Marcus Sasser does. Like he might be the biggest name on anybody's scouting report before a game all season. Like that's how, that's how good he is. Um, I, I, I guess, how would you, how would you grade Saster so far this season? Um, and are you worried about any of those efficiency things and how they might translate to just the team's offensive efficiency in general? Yeah, I'd probably give him C plus B minus so far. 
like you mentioned, he has not shot the ball great. There's been a few games where he's shot really well, but for the most part, it's been inconsistent and not the you know typical Marcus Sasser you think of who, if you leave him open behind the, the arc, he's going to drain it. Um, but I think the biggest thing, and this is something he's hammered home, Kelvin's hammered home, is just looking for other ways for him to impact winning than just his scoring. Of course, you're not going to tell him to stop shooting because he's a great shooter. Um, and eventually the makes will come, even though, you know, he's been in a little bit of a slump, but, you know, looking for ways he, he he's getting more of a Kelvin Sampson compared it to a couple of years ago when Quentin Grimes uh, was on Houston during the final four run, uh, 2020, 2021, uh, you know, he, he Sampson compared what Sasser's the treatment uh, defenses are giving Sasser to that. And so teams are defending him differently than he's seen, he's seen before. And that's contributed to some of the struggles. So, looking for other ways to impact winning, you know, when teams are doing everything to take your shot away, how, how, how else can he help? Um, whether, you know, draw the double team and kick it out. Uh, some, you know, assists are always something that uh, he's working on uh, defensively. He's typically on the, one of the opponent's best players. Uh, so just impacting that, that game, that the game that way um, outside of his scoring. So I think those are the big things you look at. I wouldn't say there's like areas to be concerned about, because, you know, his shot's going to come around and uh, he's a veteran. He'll make adjustments. But I think just, you know, he hasn't he hasn't seen the treatment uh, that he's gotten this year in the past because this year is his first year truly as the guy because last year, like y'all mentioned, he played 12 games. He he was barely there. Now, you know, when, when a team's playing Houston, the first person they're circling is number zero because he's proven that he can hurt you if you don't stop him. So I think just that adjustment period to, uh, you know, getting more attention than typical and stuff is the big thing, but he'll be fine over the long run. Um, but yeah, there's certainly areas that he, he's got to improve on if he wants to live up to that all American status. And can you, and you kind know, of, sorry, go ahead, Josh. Can you kind of put into context just how important he is to this team? It's, it's obvious to say, yes, he's, arguably the best guard in the country. He's the leading scorer on this team that's, you know, not going to go score 80 points a game. That's just not the way they play. All-American, all of that kind of stuff. Just want, being around this team every single day, how important to the ceiling and kind of the potential of this team as a hopeful national title contender do you think Marcus Sasser really is? Yeah, I mean, in order to win a title, they got to have him. Um, they, you know, if he goes down like he did last year, uh, I, I wouldn't think Houston would win or even have a shot at a title. But I think a bigger impact uh, that people don't notice is just his leadership. He's a guy that people on this team follow, and it's very evident in practices and stuff. Uh, you know, he, he's got to bring it every day in practice. That's something Kelvin's emphasized. His best players always have to bring it in practice because others are going to follow. And so – sort of him setting the tone in practices and just the way he conducts himself, uh, not getting too high on the good stuff, not, not getting too down on, you know, bads uh, is just so important, especially when you have a team that's a good mix of veterans, but also, you know, like we talked about these young talented players that are inexperienced and haven't had a lot of um, opportunities. So I think his leadership is even more vital to this team than what he does on the court. Obviously you need both um, sort of intertwined if Houston's going to make a run um, and, you know, play 
be one of the last teams standing. But yeah, um, those are those are two areas where, you know, they're just key to this team. You know, Josh and I both went to went to Butler and we watched Kamar Baldwin, his second to last year, really be the guy for the first time and struggled with it pretty much the entire season. Um, and, you know, there, there's part of me that that, that thinks that maybe that, that perhaps the most difficult part about Marcus missing last season is that, I mean, he, he had put together the early season resume that by the end of the season, and certainly if he had played in the tournament, that that he would have been he would have been seeing you know prime premium treatment when it comes to to defenses um so you know it's it's not necessarily a surprise that um when we to- we we understand the we 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 got a first row a front row seat to watching a guy who's really good go through everybody else knowing how just how good he is for the first time uh, and kind of figuring out how to, how to deal with that. But, um, but hopefully, you know, for, for Houston that you get to the point where you feel like he's just completely uh, acclimated to, to that idea. Um, so you got Alabama on December 10th, you played St. Mary's who's a top 20 Kim Palm team, um, or at least was at the time of, of playing them. Um, they are still a top 20 Ken Palm team. You have, you have this game against Virginia coming up, which we'll get to specifically here in a second. How important, but but other than that, right, there's a lot. I mean, you played Oregon, but Oregon is having just a weird moment in their program. You're not really sure how good Oregon is. Um, other than that, the the schedule, I guess, I guess light is the right word. There's a lot of mid-major teams. Um, how important, right, what we're getting to here is how important are games like the Alabama game, like the Virginia game? Because quite frankly, the AAC isn't great this year. Um, you don't play Memphis until the end of February, which is kind of, which seems like the the team that is at least second fiddle to to Houston in the AAC this year. How important are the games like this in the middle of the season to kind of build up that um, experience when it comes to the type of teams you're going to play in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously when you're playing top 25 teams, these will be top two straight weeks with top 10 in Alabama and Virginia. It's a good measuring stick because, you know, you're playing against the best teams in the country to this point in the season. That could obviously change, but you're able to see, you know, sort of from the beginning where your team stands, areas you need to work on, um, you know, you can experiment with different rotations, things like that, because like you mentioned, these will be a lot of the teams you're seeing in the tournament. And so the other big uh, part of it though, is just getting some of the younger players acclimated to these type of games because they, I mean, they, they try to treat every game the same, but there's a little extra juice when you're in a top 10 matchup. Uh, The crowd, whether you're home or away, there's going to be more energy. It's, and that's what you see in the tournament too. And so to get some of these games, um, and especially this this weekend against Virginia, since it's on the road, is just huge to sort of sort of get used to it. Because if your first experience, you know, playing in big time games comes in March, it's probably not going to be the best. And that's why we've seen, you know, over the past few years, we've seen veteran teams win the championship. You know, Baylor was a veteran team, Kansas, and so being able to get some of your younger guys. Uh, acclimated to these big time environments and big time games where you're facing some of the best athletes in the entire country is, is definitely huge. Um, 
And there's always learning experiences, whether you win or lose, there's, there's so much you can take away. And so uh, not to say the other games don't matter, but you, I think you get a little clearer picture just because of the caliber of teams you're playing like in an Alabama or a Virginia. Let's talk about this Virginia game for a second. One, do you think either of these teams actually gets to 50 points? <laughs> and... uh, it's going to be upper 40s, very low 50s. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'm personally kind of hoping for 49, 48 just to, just to have the experience. But what are you looking for and kind of what do you think Houston can take away and Kelvin Sampson can take away from this specific matchup and kind of the things that Virginia offer because you know exactly what Virginia is going to do and what Virginia doesn't do with Tony Bennett at this point. Yeah, um, for sure. So Houston played uh, Virginia last year, blew them out. It was like, I don't remember what the final score was, but it was close to 20. But the thing about the Virginia team this year is they got so many pieces back and Kelvin Sampson this morning, he met with the media and said they don't have a lot of weaknesses. They do a lot of things great, and you know it takes mistake-free basketball to beat them. And they're really well balanced. You look at their roster; they got what four or five guys averaging double figures. They 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 can. They're obviously they're they don't have to score a lot to win. You know they can win these defensive battles like like we sort of talked about and like we anticipate this you know Saturday afternoon going, and so. I think this will this will be another I mean it's two similar styles where Houston's sort of the same way. They can score a lot of points, but their their bread and butter is that defense. And you know, they they're going to be most successful when they're in these, you know, 49-48, 55-54, not the 93-90 shootouts. And so I think just seeing how Houston, you know, just how 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 they find ways when they're facing, you know, a team like Virginia who can hurt you in so many ways uh, presents probably your toughest challenge defensively um, so far throughout the season. There's, there's just so much you can look to there. And I think it will, you know, be, be another good, you know, indicator to Samson about where his team stands and uh, win or lose, because there'll be things you can take away and just, you know, if if you, if you win this game, like just the encouragement of finding a way to win in some of these, you know, tough grind them out games um, and just giving that team confidence, especially the young guys that, you know, it, we have multiple ways to win than just scoring a bunch of points. Is there one key you're looking at or that Calvin Sampson mentioned that you feel like is going to determine this game one way or the other? Ooh, that's tough. Um <laughs> I mean, I think the guard play will be huge. You know, you got Clark's a veteran for Virginia. I think fifth year, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> if not sixth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's been there forever. He's played in the biggest moments. Uh, he was there last year um, when Houston played him. But I think that 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 guard matchup, I'd imagine Marcus Sasser would be on him. I think that matchup will be really intriguing on both sides of the floor. Um, and... I mean, each team, you know, has different ways to hurt you. They got, they got, they're not just a one man show. So, you know, you're not entirely relying on that, but I think that matchup between Clark and Sasser will be probably, probably be the biggest key in my opinion, just 
who who brings it more, who can sort of get the edge over the other. Um, and I think that will go a long way in determining uh, who who ends up uh, coming out with the W. I'm very excited. It's it's one of the best, just in general. It's going to be one of the best college basketball games of years. Man, years, games, days. That's the one I was looking for. Um, one of the best college basketball days of of the whole year. And Houston, Virginia is going to be right there. Um, let's let's take a look ahead for for just a second. Um, I think without putting too many expectations on, I think that right national titles, Final Fours contending for championships that's that's what this team is is built to do and expects to do um and wants to do so um the question presents itself um we're right a month and a half through the season what are the things that that this team needs to do between now and and march to to set themselves up for for a final four run for a national title run, uh, whatever it might be. Is there anything that's kind of glaring right now that you think needs to be fixed or is it, is it fine tuning the, the corners and getting the freshmen more comfortable and, and you think they'll be in a good spot? Yeah. So there's a few things. One thing that Kelvin Sampson said right off the bat is they have to develop the bench better um, because a lot of these guys coming off are young. And so obviously Injuries can happen, foul trouble, whatever. You have to have more than just, you know, the five you've put out there to start the game. So I think that's one thing you're looking to see. They don't have to play like stars, but, you know, be consistent and be able to, you know, when Marcus is on the bench, Jamal's on the bench, they're having an off night, something like that. They're able to come in and fill in the gaps and, you know, keep the team in the game. So I think that's one thing. And then another thing is just, Houston always they're all they've always been a great defensive team under Samson um but the offense comes along throughout the season and that's something Kelvin's talked about as well so just fine-tuning that as the season comes along because you know you gotta have off you gotta have some sort of offense to win um it doesn't have to in Houston's case like I've said it doesn't have to be the most explosive because of what they can do defensively but just you know getting better shot selections, uh, getting guys like Jairus and Terrence more comfortable, uh, you know, when they get the ball, because there, there's times when they're great, but there's times when they're turning it over or just sort of look like a freshman, um, which is, which is understandable because they are. And so I think those are two big things. And then just finding, uh, finding some different rotations. Samson's been, experimenting with a bunch of different rotations in the past couple of games. So just finding things that work because each team's a little different. You got to learn the team. Um, and yeah, just, just getting that. So when you're in, you know, come March, you know, okay, if this is, we're struggling here, blah, 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 I should put these people in whatever things like that. So those are the big three things I would be looking for as the season progresses. The other thing that we kind of wanted to highlight and get your thoughts on was the three-point shooting. Currently 199th. We went back and looked at these past couple Houston teams. A little bit better than that, but it's not like Houston has needed to be this elite three-point shooting team to you know be national title contenders, Final Four caliber teams. Six of 24 from deep in the St. Mary's and Alabama games combined. 
has that been a topic of conversation? Is that something that you are monitoring at all in terms of sort of making sure this team has the the chance to reach its ceiling and, and that offensive improvement throughout the season, as you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something you keep in mind, just the way the games change. You know, threes are a huge part. Like you said, Houston has so many different other ways they can beat you that they're not reliant on threes like some teams. But when the threes are falling, they're nearly impossible to beat. Um, and so that that's a big, that's a big area of uh, just, you know, lo- looking for that. They've never been a great three-point shooting team mm-hmm. under Samson. Um, they have options, but you're, you're, they're not going to, by the end of the season, be top 50 or whatever. They're, they're going to just be average behind the arc. Um, and, but I think it's just, in those moment, in those key moments, you know, when you need a big shot, can they knock them down? You know, turn to a guy like Sasser. He's proven it. Uh, Jamal Shedd's been getting better uh, in terms of shooting. He's still got a ways to go. Tremont Mark, uh, Ramon Walker, Emmanuel Sharp. You've got a lot of options, but it's just the key is, you know, in those big moments. But th- they do not need to become a team that's top 50 and three-point percentage, whatever, to – go deep in the tournament, but you got to make them when they count the most. Um, And when you do make them, like I said, you're not, they're not, no, people aren't going to beat Houston if they're making threes. You know, I I was looking at three point shooting percentage and then went back. I was okay. Yet last year, the the elite eight, where were they a little better, but roughly the same place. The final four, two years prior, a little better, but roughly the same place. And, you know, I, I, I like to think, Right. You you want to have that three point shot so that you can win a shootout in the tournament if you need to, or like you said, get a timely three. But you go through you go through the Houston's tournaments the last the last three years and there just haven't really been that many of those games. They're Kelvin and and his teams are so good at kind of imposing the type of game that they want to play on their opponents that if if you never run into a team that is going to do that, you know, apart from maybe a, 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 an elite all-time level team in Baylor a couple of years ago, um, then, then maybe it's just not, just not quite as important if, if you just are always controlling the game in the way that you want to. But um, James, thank you so much for, for taking the time to come and chat with us. Enjoy the game this weekend and we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. It was fun uh, talking with you guys. Thank you so much, James, for taking the time to come and chat with us on the pod today. Get us ready for Virginia this weekend and uh, kind of take a step back, look at, um, and, and as James said, one of the the best winners in, in college basketball nowadays. Uh, I think he said it was since 2017, only one program, and that being the Gonzaga Bulldogs have more wins than Kelvin Sampson's program uh, since that point. So, the Cougars are rolling. They seem to win at least three games in every NCAA tournament and um, in a position to do that again this year. Yeah, really glad we got this opportunity. We were kind of talking beforehand that Houston is a team we didn't get to cover that much preseason because they're in the AAC. You just expected them to be really good, and they've been really good. And so we got to talk about them with the Alabama game in the context of, well, Houston was the number one team in the country and Houston lost. So being able to examine that and really dive into sort of where this team is at, because I do feel like there are some questions, obviously 
they're doing just fine. But we talked about some of the concerns with Marcus Sasser and James highlighted some of the stuff we talked about defensively that went wrong against Alabama in that second half, those kind of things. So it was a perfect time to highlight a team that from a week to week standpoint, we're probably not going to talk all that much about until we get, especially when we get into conference play until we get Mm -hmm. to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, absolutely. So big sports weekend this weekend and, and high up on the, the food chain, so to speak is Virginia and Houston, a game that, Josh, as a guy who in in intramural basketball is locking down defensively, um, that's that's what he's there to do. And um, so for for Josh to be even more excited about this game than perhaps I or other college hoops fans might be is is incredibly on brand. But that game's at two o'clock on ESPN two. Little wild that this game's on ESPN two. What's going on in ESPN? Do you know what's going on on ESPN? Because the Indiana it's got to be a bowl Kansas- game, right? Indiana and Kansas is on ESPN two as well. So clearly there's something going on. Let's, let's go look at the bowl schedule. Let's go look at the bowl schedule. College football. Woohoo. Thank goodness that, you know, uh, okay. I'm going to, you are correct. Um, The Wasabi Fenway bowl is at noon. Oh, excellent. Excuse me. 11 a.m. 11 a.m. on Saturday, December 7th, 17th, the Wasabi Fenway Bowl at Fenway Park. That's kind of cool. Do you know who's playing in the the Wasabi <laughs> Fenway Bowl? I was going to ask you because I got no clue. Um, your Boston hosts College. are... <laughs> no, 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 no. Much bigger programs than that. Um, your hints are... Oh. Also, the, also, Jimmy Kimmel is just just sponsoring a bowl game? Tomorrow, Washington State and Fresno State just play in the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. Are you getting me right now? Are you getting me? <laughs> Presented by Stifle. Okay. Um, one of the both of these teams just got a new coach because oh, right, right, right. Because right. one of these teams, but these two teams are playing. This is crazy. I haven't even thought about this. One of these teams just had their coach leave to go coach the other team. For the other one. Yeah. Yes. Do you know yep. who do you know who is playing in this game now? Louisville? Yep. And where and, did Louisville's oh, where head coach did, go? Where did he yeah, where did Scott Satterfield go? Oh jeez. He went about he went about eighty miles yeah, it was northeast. Close. He went about he went eighty miles northeast of Louisville. Oh, oh, oh. Yep, yep, yep. Cincinnati. Cincinnati, that's correct. At Fenway Park. So that's why we have two top fifteen and a top fifteen and a top five matchup on ESPN two. That's fine. That's fine. I, I understand. I'm not naive. I just disagree with it. I'm not naive. I understand that more people will watch that bowl game than will watch in either of those college basketball games. So I get it, but I ain't got to like it, Josh. It's like loving family members. You don't like, you got to do it, but you don't have to like it. Um, but um, yeah, plenty of sports this weekend. James, thank you again for coming on to the pod. You got anything else? think we're all good to go we'll have plenty to discuss on monday <laughs> i think you're right i think we'll have plenty to discuss on monday and uh and that is when we will come right back here we'll meet here again on monday to talk about everything that happened over the weekend please subscribe to the jays for days podcast on apple podcast spotify and google podcast follow us on twitter at jays for days pod check out the Podbean, the youtube the tiktok all that fun stuff um check it all out for us we greatly appreciate it 
Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He is also Josh. And we will see you later.